Hi, everyone. It's Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. And I've recently been researching quite a bit to learn and educate myself on neurodivergence and autism. And I'm feeling quite politically alive, actually, because there's different groups of people saying different things. And I want to say straight up, I'm neurodivergent affirming. Um, I see great gift and relevance in autism as an evolutionary adaptive or advantage. There's advantages to having neurodivergent people in our community, in my opinion, in my opinion. And that's not to say that being neurodivergent is better than or superior to being neurotypical. I think there's great benefit to a village and a community having different neurotypes. And so neurotypical people, they have a brain that in the first seven years of life experiences roughly, I think, 50% of neural clipping, which means they're sort of islands of information nicely organized for ease of access to information throughout the body and brain. And there's a lot of pluses to that. It can mean that Neurotypical people can experience situations, events, and social situations with ease. There's a lot of assumptions and intuitive decision-making going on that's that's not so um, taxing for the brain or for the energy or for the attention. Um, but one of the downsides, I think, to that neural clipping process is neurotypical people tend to be far more distracted. They're far more vulnerable to groupthink and to social cohesion and to subscribing to social assumptions or cultural assumptions without really understanding why they're believing what they're believing because it is this invisible, intuitive, childlike um, culture that's really being adopted, not questioned. Whereas neurodivergent people have far less clipping, could be as little as 16%, and we have lots of interconnectedness throughout our brain. Um, the way we develop our constructs and understanding and concepts of how the world works is much less from this social assumption basis. We actually build the world data point by data point and create our own understanding of the world, which is time-consuming, slow, exhausting, fatiguing, laborious. But we are able to be highly sort of critical and discerning of how we view the world and it's very very high detail and from a village or community perspective it makes sense to have roughly one in 50 people view the world with this high detail critique and to be able to look at social systems and structures and go that doesn't make sense this isn't fair you know this is too loud this is too fast um, to be able to sense injustice, to to be able to speak up and feel um, what's not feeling quite right or nourishing or nurturing in a community. And I think in healthy communities where everyone's voice matters and everyone's listened to, that village can really benefit from listening to, let's say, the autistic person who says, you know, um, I'm not feeling comfortable in this situation and this is the kind of support I would ask for. The entire village benefits. So, a lot of the difficulties that I'm going to speak mostly about autism, um, but a lot of the difficulties that are generally experienced by people with autism, and it's a huge spectrum, and the way our brains are taking in information and processing information and embodying that information is really unique, individual, and different. But there's an element of social difference 
which to a neurotypical person could appear awkward or rude, but to a neurodivergent person or group of people, the way neurodivergent people speak might be more frank, more transparent, faster, louder, enthusiastic, zealous, interrupting, Um, might be lots of information dumping early on, um, I think much less subscribing to hierarchies and status. Neurodiverse people will just see people, they will just see humans, and they will treat everybody with the same level of um, status. So there's a lot of good things going on for the way neurodivergent people socialise and the types of connections they're looking for. Um, so I think it's really important to step back and say this is not a medical disorder or a dysfunction. It's simply a different way of being in the world and viewing the world. And I think it's really important as a global community, we start to create space for these cultural differences. And this is really a neuroculture, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a neurological difference, which is beautiful. Um, so straight up at the start of this video as well, I want to say I do not believe neurodivergence is a medical issue. I don't believe it's a disorder. I don't believe it's a disease. I think it's a perfectly natural and healthy evolutionary um, adaptive process, just a natural variant in the human genome. I think it's always been around and I think we're learning more and more about autism and neurodivergence and we're slowly but surely um, developing ways of assessing it and talking about it. So I don't believe it's increasing necessarily. That's not my that's not my gut feeling. So social difference is one piece, sensory challenges. So the way is is another piece. Um, the way autistic people take in information is we've got lots of high detail levels of information coming in through our ears, the way we hear and the way we sense movement and balance information through our eyes, through our skin. All of this is the same as a neurotypical person, except the level of processing is much higher. And I have a theory. So my specialty is in this sensory realm. This is what I work with professionally. It's what I'm trained in at a university level. I have a master's in vestibular audiology. I actually think that the way autistic people take in the outer world information, what they're sensing, feeling, hearing, temperature, all of it, um, it's 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 acute, it's like highly aware, it's high detail, but it's also, it's like I think neurotypical people are able to store and hold discomfort more for a longer period of time. So they might hear something or feel something that's a bit like, mm, I don't really like that, that's a bit annoying, it's a nuisance or it's a bit painful but they can sort of deal with it and squash it down and and store that discomfort in their body and, and not have to make a big deal of it or talk about it or move it. Whereas I get the impression for us autistic people, we, we can't just hold that discomfort in the body. We have to move it through the body, that it's such a large neural impulse moving from our brain and through the body that we have to actually shake it out or we have to talk about it or we have to shrill and, and scream or lip trill. It's like we can't not make a visible response. And I think that's why autistic people can appear so different in school rooms or in any kind of class situation, that there's like a visible agitation as they might be experiencing very bright lighting or a strobe light or funny reflections in a window or hearing all sorts of noises that a neurotypical person might be able to habituate and tune out and it doesn't bother them or annoy them. Potentially an autistic person 
is highly attuned to that, highly attentive to that sound, and it's really disrupting them, it's agitating them, it's distracting them, and they've got to actually move that energy through their body, which could bring on some of those repetitive behavioural patterns such as flapping of the hands, um, echolalia, repeating comforting words or statements, you know, moving fingers, rocking, spinning, there's and these are all um, stims or stimming behaviors which help release that that big energy those big feelings i'm a firm believer that if autistic people or neurodivergent people along the spectrum are trained not to do their stimming or not to release that energy so not to flap their hands not to spin not to speak up not to talk about it you know stop being so dramatic stop being so sensitive when an autistic person is shut down on a daily basis and stifled so that they appear more neurotypical and if they're judged as being abnormal or wrong because they're not appearing neurotypical, um, which again, this is now starting to step into a social disability realm, when an autistic person cannot express themselves in their natural creative ways, I believe that's what leads to the medical discomforts and diseases that arise um, and can be more common in neurodivergent people or autistic people. And so it's because I think neurodivergent culture is less understood and that often we're told the, what we're doing is wrong or bad and it should be this way. It's all of those natural, beautiful, innate impulses flowing through an autistic person's body they're stifled they're silenced they're squashed and I think that really leads to disease of any form whether it be digestive disorders or skin disorders or mental agitation and social anxiety or personality and identity issues that it's because there's there's not this natural release of energy which is so important for a healthy human being so that's why I really want to make this video to have these conversations about how it's okay to be different. It's healthy to release our energy. And the, the last point I've got is autistic people and also can have rigid routines or rigidity or mental rigidity. And I think part of that can be around seeking comfort, seeking predictability and seeking safety, which the brain wants. And I can speak from experience, being autistic, it's just so stimulating to be out in the world. And that can even be out in nature. I can get so agitated and overstimulated with all the plants, all the shrubs, all the ground covers, all the different leaf shapes, all the different bird sounds and the different um, marsupials and insects and animals. It's like my brain is taking in so much detail. Within 30 minutes, I can feel a bit flooded and overwhelmed. And I think part of coping as an autistic person can be having an element of rigidity and familiarity that the brain is comfortable with and we've got most of the data there so we don't have to be around lots of new and novel stimuli, which is very exhausting as a process, as a mental process. So some rigid routines or rigidity, which can seem very odd and unnecessary to a neurotypical person, it's probably more about an autistic person really doing their best to survive in a neurotypical world and create some sense of rest and reassurance with some kind of rigid familiarity that they can lean upon and rest into as often as possible. And I noticed for myself, once I realized I was autistic, I only discovered it very recently, um, I noticed there was times, particularly around parenting and mothering, 
where I was really putting pressure on myself to do things other parents were doing and trying to sort of keep up. And I was still listening to my body and that's is my line of work of following my own pace and my own limitations and having boundaries. But this was such new territory for me that I was slipping up and I was discovering my rhythm and often overstepping my own boundaries and rigidity was popping up that I was starting to become very mentally rigid of how things should be. Um, And that, again, was my own protective mechanism of, I suppose, trying to protect myself. Um, Wasn't very effective, by the way. But in hindsight, once I realized, oh, okay, I have this neurotype, I'm very much autistic, I'm highly sensitive, so my brain gets overwhelmed by lots of new information And especially around children, I'm meeting lots of new parents, lots of new kids, lots of stuff going on in the playground and wherever. And there's, I have to just approach these things with bite-sized pieces and allow myself to dip in for 30 minutes and dip out again and get that rest. And I've noticed in that reckoning of who I am and how I process the world, and I'm very proud to be autistic and neurodivergent. I see it as a strength and I'm very nurturing towards the challenges I face In that, a lot of the mental rigidity I had just fell away. It's like it was such an instant balm of relief. So some of the things that neurotypical people, including doctors and health professionals and school teachers, might see as really unusual or disordered or um, bad or wrong from that neurotypical way of being, I actually think that the way neurodiverse people communicate, which is very transparent, generally speaking, very direct, very honest, um, and very in the moment, there's not a lot, there's not necessarily a lot of um, trying to impress or trying pretense. It's there's an earnestness about it that's actually very healthy. And while it may seem out of rhythm or out of timing or a little bit upfront or a little bit rude from a neurotypical perspective. I think if we can learn to be more accepting of how different people communicate, I think everyone benefits from a a world that is more kind, better at listening, better at noticing our interconnectedness as a whole from that village perspective, but difference is okay. Not every single person in the village has to speak and think the same ways. I think it's really, really healthy to retain diversity And if we are institutionalizing or squashing down neurodivergent people, we're actually missing their gifts. So what is the gift in being neurodivergent or autistic? I think we are one of the gifts of a autistic or even ADHD brain is this capacity to have hyperfixation and to to focus intensely for very long periods of time on a specific topic. And if you think about that village environment, You might have all your neurotypical people cooking, cleaning, building, doing a lot of the stuff that takes endurance and stamina and strength. And the neurodivergent people might be obsessively studying bird life and really contributing that information and that valuable data back into the village. Or maybe the neurodivergent people are obsessively looking at how to hunt differently for meat that will really benefit the whole village or how to study the star cycles, the planets, the moon, the solstices, you know, collecting all this really finite detail that takes a huge amount of concentration, a huge amount of pattern recognition, which one, which is one of the great strengths of neurodivergent people. And and this commitment to time, you know, some of our interests will actually last a lifetime. We will be super fixated. And I mean, 
a lot of people will say to me, you know, passionate is a better word than obsessive, but it can look obsessive through that neurotypical lens. But to have that passionate interest, not just for two weeks, but for a lifetime, that's a huge benefit to a village because we're bringing in all of that data and long-term observation. So I think for millennia, we have had neurodivergent people and they have been nurtured and recognized for their gifts and constantly bringing that special data into the village. Um, So I wanted to really talk about how in our modern day world, when we're seeing lots of autistic and neurodivergent people melt, having meltdowns, shutdowns, burnout, you know, having lots of co- comorbidities with medical problems and medical disease, I do not think that there is anything wrong with neurodivergent people. I don't think there is anything wrong with being neurodivergent. What I suspect is that the fast pace of the modern day world, the lack of connections between village members, family members, friendships, communities, the overwhelm of social media and immediate gratification and dopamine loops, the way education systems are structured, the way the general workforce is structured with the expectation to work long hours daily, to be away from family, to travel and commute for long lengths of time, the exposure to 24-7 shops and unnatural lighting, the fact we are so distant from nature's cycles and the way we are treating the planet, the way we are treating our flora and fauna friends, the way we're not respecting the very earth life force that is nourishing and feeding us. I think all of these things that are becoming apparent in our modern day capitalized um, economy-based, you know, bottom dollar culture, I think we are the canary in the mine, the neurodivergent people. We're sensing and feeling in our body the wrongness of it all. We're sensing and feeling in our body that it's not working. We're sensing and feeling in in the invisible ether that it's agitating us. It's not adding up. And I think we need to really deeply listen to neurodivergent people and autistic people of any neurotype including our nonverbal friends. There's something very beautiful about being nonverbal and language has so many limitations. Um, And I also feel this sort of responsibility as an able autistic woman to, to be a voice for the people who are voiceless and the animals who are voiceless and the nature cycles who are voiceless. Can we stop and listen to the nonverbal people animals and living beings on this planet can we pause and actually drop into that space of felt sense and listen to their pain and listen to how we can support them nourish them accept them take care of them and I think that is beautiful and necessary and I think the more we learn to honor and accept differences rather than judge discriminate um, have a them versus us conversation it's, it's so important that we celebrate and make space for differences and create a world that is truly kind, accepting and accommodating for all people. Um, I heard a podcast recently talking about businesses that were going through neurodivergent and autistic training so that they could employ gifted autistic people to do very specific, you know, data heavy roles. And they needed these jobs done in the workforce and they're very well suited for autistic um, brains. And that actually, as the business took on an accommod- accommodated 
for some of these differences that neurodivergent people need, such as very clear and transparent communication. Okay. We don't like assumptions. We don't, we, we like it to be upfront and visible or even having written communication both before and after work meetings. Um, they're just a couple of examples, but what they reported was the entire company benefited from those very small adjustments. So as we learn to honor the sensitivities of autistic or neurodivergent people. And as we learn to be kind, accepting and accommodating for those sensitivities, because we're all so different. And I think if we are the canary in the mine, if we can listen to each and every autistic child screaming in a classroom, if we can accommodate and support them to, to have a healthy brain, healthy body, the, the entire classroom benefits. And so I really feel like we need to shift the conversation away from medicalizing neurodivergence and look at how it's probably always been around. It's a very healthy variation in neurotype in the way human beings process the world that it makes a lot of sense to have roughly one in 50 people be neurodivergent and that if we listen to each other as human beings who care about each other, I actually think the entire interconnectedness between us all will strengthen and will all benefit. So that's where I'm feeling today. And, you know, I think I'll finish by saying, because I am quite new to recognizing I'm autistic, I don't use the term diagnosis because it's not a medical condition. It's just the way I'm born and it's my neurotype. It's my brain processing style. Um, I feel really proud to be neurodivergent. I don't feel superior or better than my neurotypical friends, but now I understand why sometimes I find social chit-chat really difficult and exhausting because I would much rather talk in-depth on a really specific topic that interests me than chat about the weather. And there's some really subtle differences like that that can sit heavy in the body if it's not well understood. And I think talking about this, bringing it out into the open where everyone can talk about it freely, being autistic and neurodivergent is nothing to hide. It's nothing to shy away from. I think it's great for family members and parents to talk about this with their children. And yeah, I sort of think, you know, they the um, historians think that Mozart was probably autistic based on some of his social awkward behaviours and he was clearly a genius. Apparently he could see colours and things as he was listening to music, which is um, synesthesia or crossover of the sensory pathways, and that's very common in, in neurodivergent people or more common. But I just wonder, you know, how would Mozart survive in today's society? Would he even be given piano lessons? Would he even be handed a violin? Or would he be, would he just be um, medicalized for, you know, flapping in a, in a room and having all of this excess energy and not knowing what to do with it? And I think we have to find our little Mozarts out in the world and find that room with a piano and give them the tools they need to really let their gifts shine through. I think... It's a tragedy to overly over-medicalize um, these neurotypes and these sensitivities. I think it's an absolute tragedy to dismiss and diminish autistic people's sensitivities. That's, that's another point to make that it is a huge spectrum and to a certain degree burnout for a neurotypical person is similar to burnout for an autistic person, but an autistic person will get there a thousand times more quickly and it can take them three years Sorry about that. The um, video just stopped. But, yeah, so there's some common elements 
but autistic people are far more sensitive than neurotypical people. So I think it's really important not to diminish how painful and how intense an autistic person's experience of the world is. Um, and as neurotypical people, I think it's important to recognize that it can feel really invalidating and diminishing when there's statements such as, oh, everyone gets that, or yeah, you know, I get that too, um, because it is very different. It's a very different experience of the world. Yeah. And I know for me, my heart sinks when I hear autism and neurodivergence spoken about as though there's something wrong with it, that it's trauma related and this and that. And the reality is that I think my belief is we're most likely born with this propensity for this type of neurological development and this neurotype. Um, and I think that it's most likely always been around. And I do not believe it's helpful to look at neurodivergence or autism as a medicalized problem. I don't think it's a problem to solve or cure. I think it's actually a very healthy expression of humanity that we should pause, listen, and support. So that's my feelings. And I really wanted to share what I'm learning about neurodivergence with other people who are interested in this conversation. And I really hope that's everyone because I think both neurodivergent and neurotypical people, we need to be talking about this more and learning from each other um, and supporting each other through these cultural crossovers. So it's a little bye for now. To learn more about me and my work in the sensory realm, visit seekingbalance.com.au.